podcast. Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. And Ellie. And we are the Queer Arabs. I'm Alia and I'm a, a Saudi and I'm a lesbian. And I'm Ellie. I'm bi, trans, Lebanese, and we are here in America. Yes. And today we're going to be talking about a subject that we have not been able to get to but have been wanting to, um, Yemen, and what's been going on there. Because of the length of this podcast, we're going to have to be pretty surface level, but we kind of want to go through some of the stuff that's been happening over the past few years. Yemen is is sort of overlooked as one of those minor conflicts way out in the middle of nowhere, but it's really representative of sort of the larger proxy. It's basically a proxy war with like so many players in it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and it's also been a genocide, um, which we'll get into later. So, uh, yeah, we're jumping straight from Pride Week and fun stuff to this. Yeah, because we like to uh, go pretty up and down with our moods on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> All right, so um, I guess we're going to kind of switch off. Um, well, let's start with this. Did you know there's a war in Yemen? If not, read the news. And also, don't let anyone try to cover this up or like act like it's nothing major. Because our government, for example, has failed hard in uh, making this a, a forefront of a topic uh, when it should be. It's Part of it is because of the whole it's complicated issue on the whole Middle East thing. Everyone's sort mm -hmm. of afraid to talk about stuff they don't know a lot about. And, yep. and governments have their own interests in mind. Yeah, so. um, American government and their allies, the Saudis, and... Mm -hmm. um, okay, so in 2015, uh, Saudi Arabia launched a military intervention. And Saudi Arabia deployed about 150,000 soldiers, 100 fighter jets, Navy and Navy units in Yemen. And this was after Yemen's president, Hadi, requested that Saudi Arabia get involved with fighting against the Houthi rebels. Rebels, sorry. Who the fuck are the Houthis? <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. Uh, this intervention, just to um, elaborate a little bit on that, turned into a coalition of nine Middle East North African countries. And this intervention is called Operation Decisive Storm. You asked a great question. Who are the Houthis? So the members of the group belong to the Zaydi sect of Islam, also known as the Fivers. They're called the Fivers because, uh, well, okay, it's a part of the Shia sect. And the term Fivers comes from the fact that this branch of the Shia sect follows five imams or religious leaders. And the Zaydi sect has very different beliefs than many people within the Shia sect, the overall Shia sect. And they're actually close to closer to Sunnism in their practice of Islam, ironically. This rebel group opposed Hadi, the president of Yemen. And the Zaydis currently make up about 42% of the Muslim population in Yemen. That said, though, it's important to note that the, the uh, Houthis most accurately can be defined as a political, a political group, not really a religious group or a, not really like a sectarian uh, militia. And because calling it that does a huge disservice to the Shia sect and to um, Islam in general, calling any militia really a, a Shia militia or a Sunni militia, it's problematic in that it doesn't, that does not represent the sect. Um, 
And this truly is political in nature, what we're about to get into. The group of Houthis, it, it started out as a relatively small group called the Believing Youth in 1992. And yes, people have called this a Shia militia. They don't truly represent a sect of Islam, though. The Houthis' motives are political in nature, and the Houthi rebels associate with many other groups who don't believe in their core beliefs as Fivers or Zaydis. So... I mean, the fact that they, they ally, you know, they have allies outside of that sect, you know, it, it, it speaks to the fact that this is not a religiously motivated group. Well, really, I would argue it's more they're not a religiously fundamentalist or or religiously focused group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, religion is is often a common bond, but it's not the thing here. That's a good point. Okay, so until 2010, the, the Houthis were pretty isolated. They kind of kept to their own pockets, their own like tight-knit groups. But in 2011, the Yemeni revolution started to happen. So at first, protests were about unemployment, uh, corruption, and the overall economic condition in Yemen, which was not good. Um, Eventually, the protests led to calls for the resignation of then-Yemeni President Ali Abdullah Saleh, who you're going to hear about more later. And a lot of the government at that time began defecting and joining in the revolution, and that caused the government to lose control over a big part of Yemen. So the Houthis were growing in that sense. And the protests grew and grew, and eventually the President Saleh announced that he would not run for re-election in 2013 and he wouldn't pass his power to his son. Ellie, do you want to continue with stuff? Okay, so on the son part, yeah, it, not only democracy, but in the Middle East, it's common for families to basically inherit their parents' positions because family connections uh, and whatnot, it's just, you know, People mm -hmm. run in the same social circles. Father giving his son a political position is not unusual because he would have the same connections as his father because he sort of ran in the same social circles. Right. So, like, take the Hurries, for example. Yeah. So that's kind of what happened here. Yeah. Um, and the next day after Saleh uh, announced that, about 20,000 people protested against the government in the capital of Sana'a. And a couple weeks later, tens of thousands of Yemenis took part in anti-government demonstrations in various parts of Yemen. And then, a little less than a month after that, protesters called for the ousting of President Saleh. So it was more than just him being like, hey, I'm not going to re, uh, re, uh, run, run again. It was people being like, no, we don't want to wait that long. Yeah, we get out now. To, we want to oust you now. So the protests continued. They escalated until November 2011. At that point, Saleh signed for a transfer of his power to his vice president at the time, Hadi. And that is now the president, by the way. Spoiler alert. Um, so Hadi took his oath of office in February 2012. And this decision was backed by Saudi Arabia and the United States at that time. And there, I mean, there were no other candidates or even the option to write one in. So it was pretty automatic that this happened. Mm -hmm. That um, Hadi, since, you know, he was the vice president, he took over and then there was no chance for an election in 2013 for a new 
candidate because there was just no one, just weren't any. Which isn't uncommon. If you control who runs right, <laughs> and who's considered a valid candidate, you kind of control the outcomes. Since this is in Saudi Arabia's backyard, the United States was, of course, more than willing to back whatever they wanted so long as it didn't conflict. And since the United States generally likes Saudi Arabia and wants Saudi Arabia to basically main control of the shipping straits in the area, mm -hmm. uh, taking over Yemen would contribute to stability and shipping, stable shipping lanes and overall control. So they had no problem sort of endorsing this. Yeah, all comes down to money. Well, from the, United, from the United States perspective, it's about, yes, it's yes. about money and stability. Yes from the US perspective and the Saudi perspective, which we'll get into later. So um, so without getting too derailed, back in 2004, former President Saleh had the founder of the Houthi group killed. His name uh, was Hussein Badr al-Din al-Houthi. At that point, al-Houthi had launched an uprising against the Yemeni government. You can read more about that, but I don't want to go off on too many like tangential discussions or anything yeah surface um, level we're not going into like the yeah just not realistic unfortunately so um also to note um a cut in gasoline subsidiaries put the houthis subsidies sorry subsidies yeah i thought subsidiaries was a word okay whatever sorry put the houthis in conflict with the yemeni army after a short battle the houthis took over sanaa eventually so they gained control over Sana'a. Which is, I believe, the west side? Uh, yeah, it's the capital too. Um, so a bunch of political debates and all, all kinds of political stuff occurred. And Hadi ended up being confined to the presidential palace in Sana'a. Dun, dun, dun. Drama. Mm -hmm. Being confined to the palace. So in February 2015, Hadi managed to escape the palace and he fled to a different part of Yemen. Um, I think it's pronounced Aden. I could be wrong, A-D-E-N. Um, and he declared that he was still president of Yemen despite the fact that his term had elapsed and he had declared his resignation more than once. So, but who was gonna, who was gonna stop him, you know? Yeah. Former President Saleh demanded that Hadi step down after that, and he joined in a military cooperation with the Houthis at that point. And on March 25th, 2015, the coalition of nine countries led by Saudi Arabia started an air campaign against Saleh and the Houthis and their allies. And Saudi Arabia used U.S. intelligence and logistics to carry out the air campaign. Sounds kind of familiar, you know, United States and their coalition going into some country and bombing it for reasons. Yep. Repeating history in just different locations, it feels like. And um, uh, so, yeah, this um, that led to many, many civilians being killed in Yemen. Um, so we had the Saudi planes destroying homes in Sana'a. Coalition planes attacked a refugee camp at one point. Um, the Saudi coalition set up a blockade around Yemen. So they stated the intention of doing that was to keep out weapons that could be used by the Houthis and their allies. When in fact, this blockade did way more than just that. I mean, it prevented like medicine, all kinds of necessary materials for regular people 
Um, and of course, that caused many um, innocent civilians to starve to, be to death or die because they couldn't get any medicine. And markets and hospitals were among those that were destroyed by the Saudi coalition. And it isn't out of pure cruelty that people do this sort of thing. Uh, this is common. This is a common siege tactic. You, if if you deny supplies to the rebels and you have control over the surrounding area, preventing new supplies from getting in, they will eventually starve to death. Uh, yeah, but... but where it gets exceptionally cruel is this. So if you put a siege situation where you have civilians and a rebel army, eventually the rebels are going to have to make the decision. The rebels are going to be, of course, better trained, well-armed, willing to fight than the civilians. Yeah. And what little food is left is going to either have to go, is going to go to the rebels eventually. How they take that, you know, kind of gets messy. So sieges tend to turn um, active political movements and armies against the civilian population out of necessity. Yeah, but Saudi Arabia never had good intentions. Well, let's be real. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, war crime. Yep. So, uh, however, extremely practical military um, thing, strategy. And it works because Saudi Arabia basically has control of the peninsula. The United States, of course, lending naval support on the blockade, mm -hmm. you know, and it's just, it, yeah. it works. The grand irony, though, is later on, ISIL um, and Al-Qaeda both get on the, in on the action because it is an open coastline. There's a lot of room to get in. Yeah. So, I mean. Keep out the supplies, but the fighters seem to be able to get in. Yeah. But yeah, like when it comes to humanitarian aid, that's, uh, you know, just or just regular supplies that everyone should have the right to have that was being prevented from getting in mm -hmm. to Yemen. Um, and like Doctors Without Borders, they were forced to leave their areas in Yemen because of the coalition attacks against hospitals and the communities in general. So um, that's another resource that was lost. You know, people lost that resource because of that. Um, and this, what's going on, what has been going on in Yemen is one of the worst humanitarian crises of our time. And it's, it's quite under, it's pretty unreported considering how major this has been. Um, yeah, because this is basically Saudi Arabia's backyard, they can control the flow of reporters' information, you know. Mm -hmm. so. And interesting that Saudi Arabia has, um, banned Al Jazeera has censored their population from Al Jazeera, which is one of the main resources to to learn about this, what's been going on. Yeah. So hmm, wonder what the motive is, right? And anyway, um that was a tangent. A necessary tangent though. And for those asking what is the UN doing about this? Well, pretty much Pretty not much because the United States is allied with mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia and they have a veto and security council. They can do what they need to do. Yeah. Um, and I mean, what's been going on in Yemen is famine and constant death of children and other civilians. And throughout all of this, the Saudi coalition was accusing Iran. They were using that. They were accusing Iran of backing the Houthi rebels. But the assertion that Iran has played a significant role in this conflict in Yemen has been refuted by so many experts on the conflict. So I think that was played up way too much by Saudi Arabia, inaccurately. Um, 
I mean, it's not just about what I think, but many experts will yeah, will, um, will state that. But whenever you have conflicts and crises and instability, again, Al-Qaeda and Islamic State types do get in on the action. They did see, and they have, as, as of now, seized a quite large swath of land on the east side of Yemen. Yeah. Um, and the Houthis have, in turn, launched ballistic missiles into Riyadh and uh, other parts of Saudi Arabia. I know, I know, into Riyadh. I'm not sure where else. Um, but that you know, along the border, probably. Yeah, and you're asking where did they get these missiles? Uh, interesting side note. So, if you check out the Wikipedia article, it's going to list all the combatants, everyone who's there, mm -hmm. and it is a long ass. Yes, list. who is on the Houthi side? Who's on the Saudi? coalition side um who is on really neither side which is the um like we have isis we have al-qaeda here let me pull up the list um, real quick we have uh supposedly hezbollah's providing weapons supposedly iran's providing weapons supposedly to the houthi side yeah um supposedly qatar is providing financial intelligence and media support north korea provided weapons um, according mm -hmm. to South Korean intelligence, yeah, uh, and it just and for with Saudi Arabia, it's all the usual suspects: the nine Mina, and, the mean girls of the Middle East, so Saudi Arabia and the UAE um, first off, and some of the more uh, United States and the usual specs, suspects: uh, mm -hmm. UK, Australia, Turkey, and basically the NATO aligned nations, along with a, whole, a scattering mm -hmm. of other ones. More interesting ones, I think. Some of the more interesting ones, I think, is Senegal is one of them. Yeah, that threw me off. Yeah. And Qatar is was also aligned with the Saudi coalition until 2017. Yeah. So they've been on both sides of this thing. Yeah. Um, well, that's another discussion, what's gone on between Qatar and Saudi Arabia as of late. So that's, that's uh, that should be another episode, honestly. But yeah, this is... Um, but this is also a who's who of sort of the longer, um, what we would call like East versus West conflict that everyone seems to want to get in on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if you believe the um, Iranian involvement, you know, this was, of course, the part of the larger proxy war between Iran and Saudi Arabia for control of Yemen. Saudi Arabia, under that logic, doesn't want... Uh, Iran having control of basically, you know, uh, the Straits or the um, Persian Gulf at all, because that would give them a lot of water access. It would give them partial control and a way to disrupt both Saudi Arabia's economic and military interests. So, And here's where some Western nations come into play, such as the U.S. and the U.K. Honestly, I mean, they've done a lot to cover up this conflict because um, it's really... It's it's just not really addressed much by the by any government official in the West because the UK and US have spent billions of dollars on Saudi Arabia and the other coalition members. So that's caused the coalition members to be heavily armed with more jets and the jet fighters and drone raids on Yemen have just continued to increase over all this time. And billions of dollars have been made by European and American arms manufacturers. Well, so they're defending their investment, to be fair. <sighs> by the way, so yeah, profits are being made off of this genocide. 
is what my point is. Yeah, uh, and for those who don't think this is a thing that's kind of been a long-running thing, the United States has been doing it in South America for forever. You know, that's where the term banana republic came from. Then there was the whole selling arms to both Iraq and Iran in the 80s, Iran-Contra, all that good stuff. Um, Then there's all the other fun stuff like the arming of al-Qaeda in um, their fight when they were fighting the Russians. So, yeah. So, political uh, war profiteering for war is very profitable. Yep. And genocide. So plus, it's allowed if you believe the Iran angle. It also gives the United States a way to fight Iran mm. and keep their influence contained yeah. to Iran. Yeah. Um, and let's jump forward a bit. So in December 2017. That former president we talked about named Ali Abdullah Saleh was killed by Houthi rebels near Sana'a. Yeah, yeah, because he decided to double-cross them. Yeah, so basically the Houthis and Saleh had been allies by then. I I mean, before then, sorry, before then. Um, I mean, Saleh had uh, declared that he was, you know, backing up the Houthis, he was on their side, blah, blah, blah. But by the time he was assassinated, he... Um, had declared that he was their enemy, that he was not on their side. So Saleh formally broke ties with the Houthis, and he said that he was open to a dialogue with the Saudi-led coalition. He kind of did this all of a sudden. Um, And it's said that he did this out of, I mean, because of economic reasons, of course. It had to do with Saleh's desire to form an allyship with the UAE, for economic reasons. Um, No one truly knows what his intentions were when he declared his allyship with either side. Um, And now that he's no longer alive, you know, it's hard to find, I I don't know how easy it'll be to ever really know. What was going on with that? If he had any confidants or if he had any written documents about what his thinking was um he may have also been thinking that uh the he may have just saw the writing on the wall that the saudis are going to eventually win and they are going to decide who remains yeah yeah and i mean there's obviously some shady stuff going on Mm -hmm. that the general public might never be privy to so um anyway so you have army units who remained loyal to Saleh, and they had a clash with the Houthis in the streets of Sana'a, and Saleh blamed the Houthis for the problems in Yemen. So he was he was suddenly saying these things, and he called on his forces to ignore any orders from the leadership of the Houthis. Again, very sudden, complete 180. Um, and he also called on the neighboring countries to stop the blockade and to stop the attacks mm-hmm. at the same time. So the Houthis then accused Saleh of staging a coup. And they said that they would continue their fight against the forces of aggression, in their words. So the Saudi-led coalition um, by then had been bombing Yemen for 33 months. And they praised Saleh for taking the lead. Um, That was in a statement carried by the official Saudi press agency, and the statement said, 
The decision by Salas General People's Congress to take the lead and side with their people will free Yemen of militias loyal to Iran. So um, Yemeni officials said that Saleh's decision to turn against the Houthis was planned in Abu Dhabi earlier in 2017 in consultation with Saudi Arabia. So it's still, like I said, still unclear what what Saleh's intentions were, what went on behind the scenes, um, what but happened exactly to make him, yeah, not not want to continue. But I think, like I said, he wanted. I think he saw that basically he was going to lose eventually. That this wasn't a tenable position. So he. Yeah did the pragmatic thing and tried to negotiate, but he also, you know, stabbed his allies in the back and sort of threw, threw away like the one bargaining chip he really had, which was control mm-hmm. of the Houthis. Yeah. And without them, you know, it could have been the Houthis who actually killed him. It may have been the Saudis saying, well, now that he's sort of broken up the alliance, we don't need him anymore. Yeah. Because, you know, he's already betrayed enough people. Why not? Why, why would we trust him to stay with us? Yeah. And according to Al Jazeera, they talked to um, the Al Jazeera talked to an anonymous Yemeni official who wasn't officially authorized to speak to the media. And that official said um, that the unraveling of the alliance was aimed at carving out an exit for the coalition. Mohammed bin Salman, which is Saudi's crown prince, was influenced by the UAE and thinks that a switch in presidency from Hadi or sorry from Hadi to Saleh in Yemen would help end this genocide or in his words this war so um, basically he was worried about this how how stupidly long and expensive this was getting yeah yeah um, and two former US officials I don't know who we might be able to look that up more I don't I actually don't know um well I'm sure we will uh, there were some leaked emails by two former U.S. officials in August 2017, and those emails said that Mohammed bin Salman won it out of the war, which he had started in March 2015. And as Ali, as Ellie said, it's it was due to money that was being spent on the coalition and the yeah how the saga had just stretched on and on. And uh, the UAE and Saudi Arabia had a lot of their troops killed during this period of time. So there was all, all of those factors which are said to be part of, um, part of that change of course or it's desire like, to change the course. It's, you know, this seems to be almost a running gag in the Middle East. Everyone's like, oh, if we do this war, like, you know, in the run up to Iraq, we'll be welcomed as liberators. It'll be over quickly. We'll be home before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And it never goes that way. Yeah. It's, Never gone that way. Never gone that way. And the result is that thousands and thousands of Yemenis have been killed. Millions have been forced from their homes. And um, the country is faced with the worst famine in modern history. It's it's gotten the country nowhere. And um, the Houthis now continue to have power over most of the north of Yemen. And that's where more than half of the Yemeni population lives. So... After all of the genocide by the coalition, the country is in complete disarray. And uh, just jumping back to the death of Saleh in December 2017, he was killed by Houthi rebels near the capital of Sana'a. And this happened two days after he publicly broke off ties with the Houthis. Well, that's officially anyway. Officially, that yeah. Where he public publicly and officially. No, no, no. I meant he was officially killed by his Houthi allies. 
So yeah, I I, I find like how much we want to we would want to trust that question. That date, yeah, that's no, a good oh. Like more who killed him too. Yeah, the Houthis had good cause. However, mm-hmm. you know he was also a kind of, the kind of guy who would who always went the way the wind was blowing. Yeah, but I mean, and the Houthis took credit for. Why wouldn't killing. they? True. So, I mean, he had been pretty much the most powerful person in Yemen, mm-hmm. considering how long he had been president, um, you know, for decades. Mm-hmm. And so he, the death left the entire country in shock, and the future of Yemen is completely uncertain. So who knows what's going to happen politically or societally in the future. Unfortunately, it looks bleak um, still. And um, I want to mention an article that I, I'd like to recommend to people. Um, it's Al Jazeera, again, um, published March 26th of this year. And it's called Yemeni Women Reflect on War in a City Ravaged by Air Attacks. And so some snippets of the article, um, it says that the conflict over the last three years has devastated pretty much every neighborhood in Sana'a. Death and destruction has stalked every family. One woman who was interviewed for the article said, um, my brother was injured by a landmine and had his right leg and left hand amputated. And another relative was shot and is now paralyzed. I know a lot of people whose relatives were killed by shelling and airstrikes. Their psychological and physical health is dire. How do you console someone who's lost so many loved ones? The war has brought us no good. The Arab coalition has not served Yemen. It's serving its own interests. If the warring sides care about Yemen, they should uh, concessions and lift us from this plight. And a Yemeni journalist told Al Jazeera, the war has humiliated women. Women have been displaced, traumatized, and even killed. They've been exposed to the highest form of cruelty and targeted by both parties. At least 1,665 women have been killed or wounded since the start of this crisis, with both sides routinely denying them access to medical and humanitarian aid. Um, and a number of people greater than the entire population of Sweden, to give some perspective, required immediate humanitarian assistance. And now close to 80% of Yemenis live in poverty. So that's where this has left them. Yeah, and unfortunately, there's no real end in sight. You know, it's sort of fallen to the same sort of uh, factional and sectarian factionalized violence and, of course, outside interference of Al-Qaeda, um, the Islamic State, and many others, as well as the usual war profiteers. I mean, even uh, what was Bla- the mercenary company that was Blackwater has showed up in this conflict. It's insane, like, how sprawling this what is. What has their role been? Uh, I imagine the United States and Saudi support. Mm-hmm. So... But they are mercenaries, so... Yeah. So, Saudi Arabia, with all its money, all its power, has pulled a lot of people into this. Yeah. Into their coalition. And this is sort of why the United States is allied with them, because they do have this sort of pull, and their pull together Mm -hmm. allows them to exert a hell of a lot of influence in the Middle East. They were basically allowed to to start a war, destabilize Mm -hmm. the government, topple it, and then keep the entire area isolated. Yeah, and Yemen has been a very poor country for a very long time. And so 
Yemen is an easy target. This is pretty brutal. So, fun times. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's such a... Sh it's just... It is I, a shit I, show. I'm such... Yeah, and I'm very ashamed thinking about the Saudi role in all of this and how they are the ones who led this coalition. And from the sounds of it, they are the ones most responsible for the deaths and the starvation, the famine. Because let's face it, they're the ones with the most power and money in all this. Yeah, and it's not like this wasn't predictable. You know, this is yeah. this is like every war ever. You know. Yeah, this wasn't started as some like, oh, let's save this country from rebels or from this dangerous group. No, it's it was like, not ever the intention. It was more like we want the government we want there. <sighs> and now we're sad. It's something to be sad about. And it needs to be talked about a lot more than it is. Our governments should be making this more of a discussion than they are. I mean, it's just not, it's not talked about. I mean, we know why. Well, it's hard for news organizations to get in and get sort of any exciting or relevant footage because of just how it is. Well, it's not even that. It's not about news organizations or media. I, I'm saying like governments that are involved in the coalition, for example, are just not bringing this conversation to the public very much. Well, why would they? I, yeah, I know. I know. So it's up to all of us to do our research and to have to kind of dig deep and learn about uh, the background on all this, what it's led to, what things still are what things are going on in Yemen. Essentially, they are destabilized even, I don't know if it's even more, but it feels like even worse than before. So, um, so, as to what we can do about this, well, if you're an American citizen, call your representatives and senator and say, hey, why are we entangled in yet another Middle Eastern war? Yep. Why are we supporting basically the destruction of Yemen? Mm-hmm. You know, give them a call, write them an email. Yeah, use your right. Use your right to uh, get your voice out there. Yeah, why are we spending all this money and material on yet another Middle Eastern war? Another pointless, directionless war. You know, but that's sort of the name of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're located in any of the other countries that have military of support of some kind mm -hmm. and... Obviously, don't put yourself in danger for this, you know, but here's the list. Uh, UAA, UAE, Bahrain, Kuwait, Qatar, Egypt, Jordan, Morocco, Senegal, um, Sudan, United States, obviously, United, United Kingdom, Australia, Turkey, Canada, providing weapon sales only, really, though, supposedly. Still, still support. South Korea, Malaysia, NATO as NATO. Mm -hmm. You know, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Croatia, Pakistan, Djibouti. Djibouti. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tongue twister, Djibouti. Eritrea, Somalia, France. So, you know, if if you're based out of any of that, you know, you might want to poke those that you can to say, hey. Yeah, if you, if you can, safely, if you can uh, some way put out the 
call to a public official um, in any capacity, like like here in the U.S., we can call our representatives. Who knows where that gets us? Sometimes it gets us Somewhere. places. Sometimes, sometimes it gets us to Ted Cruz. Sometimes it's it feels like nothing's coming of it, but it does matter. Um, and the more people hear from the general public, the more pressure is put on them and et cetera. So um, you can and- write letters. To, to various representatives on all levels. You can hmm. share, I mean, share information on social media if you're comfortable about this I mean, to get more you, people informed. You know, and it doesn't have to be us. There's some coverage in the news media about this. You can, of course, get to the BBC. There's, of course, an excellent Wikipedia article, which mm-hmm. we've had to read through to get a sort of a sane sort of grasp on this. Yeah, um, there's Al Jazeera, which has done quite a bit of reporting on this, from my observation. Um, oh, I, I can't remember. There's even there's a Saudi woman who created a documentary about this. She went into Yemen quite a bit, quite a bit, formed very close ties to Yemenis. Um, really just loves Yemen as a society, as a culture. Um, she is very ashamed by her own government, by the Saudi government for doing what it's been doing. And she's trying to do her part in um, bringing all this stuff to light. She's been going into Yemen quite a bit because she is able, Saudis um, are, apparently able to travel freely between Yemen and Saudi Arabia. Um, so she feels like she kind of has an obligation to do her part as a journalist, as a documentary uh, creator. Um, and her name is escaping me. I'm really sorry. I will look it up and I will post a link. And that's just a resource that comes to mind. Um, there are, of course, Yemeni journalists who are uh, reporting, like the one that we mentioned in that Al Jazeera article. Um, definitely keep looking up what people, what Yemenis are, are saying is happening. That's overall, that's the most important, I think. So, yeah. Anything else to touch on you can think of? By the way, I hope you all are having excellent Pride season. Yes, yes. On that, yeah. On a good note, um, it's Pride Pride season, Pride month, and I hope you guys are doing fun things or planning fun things. Or even just a little celebration with yourself. Yes, exactly. And we celebrate with you. So. All right. Well, thank Thanks you for, for tuning in. I know this was kind of a short episode, but... And a, and a heck of a downer. Yeah, at the same time, it felt very long. But like I said, we only scratched the surface of this whole mess, and we encourage you to do your, your research and, and learn more. There's a lot more to dig deeply into. Um, all right. Thanks, thanks again for listening. I'm Ellie. I'm Alia. We'll talk to you next week. Peace.